Hi, my name is Mariana Smith, and I am the host of Wisdom for the Journey. I'm so glad you're here. On this podcast, we talk about having a good relationship with yourself and others, how to handle the difficult things life throws at you, and we share little bits of wisdom to help you throughout your own unique journey. The topic for today is mental health and toxic positivity. Today I'm with Carrie Wright, Sarah Davis, Tony Reese Smith, and Susan hefner Hume. Could you guys take a moment to share a little bit about yourselves, where you're from, your career, any other things you would like to share? So I'll go first. Um, my name is Tony Ruth Smith. I'm Mariana's mom, and um, I'm a pastor in Harrisburg, North Carolina, um, and uh, with my husband, Wes. And several years ago, when Mariana was just a little baby, I um, and a couple other friends decided that we needed to have a small group of um, people that would gather. Um, we could come together and just talk about some of the things that we were going through. So I called everybody I knew that had just had a baby. And um, the three women that are here had and I have been meeting together often and um, helping keep each other stay alive, actually, um, since you were probably about two years old. So uh, that's who I am, um, and I'm awfully proud of my daughter. So I'll let you girls introduce yourselves. Susan, you're up. Okay. I'm Susan Hefner-Hune. I, too, am a pastor. I serve a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm in my 20th year of serving in ministry, full-time ministry. I know, crazy. (laughs) And I live in Weddington with my husband, John, and our two daughters, Ava, who is 10, and Olivia, who is 7, and our um, wonder mutt, Sadie Mae, the Black Golden Doodle. All right, so if you want to go next, Carrie, you can. Sure, I am Carrie Wright. I am associate pastor and minister of worship and music arts in a church in Charlotte. Um, I, like Susan, have been doing that for a very long time and have learned lots of things along the way. I have four children and a husband and two dogs. Our kids range in age from um, kindergarten to eighth grade. Now, Sarah, if you like. I'm a deacon serving in Gastonia, North Carolina. Um, my job title now is Director of Communications and Evangelism. I have my husband, Dave, who I met in the church. And we have two boys, Brock and Harrison, who are 12 and 9. All right, awesome. So uh, real quick before we start. Uh, we are talking about toxic positivity today, and I know that some people may not know what that is. So toxic positivity is portraying yourself as happy all the time, no matter what. It means that you are switched off to anything viewed as negative. It is also the idea of encouraging people to look on the bright side and not open up about anything negative. Um, so now we're going to go into our personal stories with the topic, um, what we've been through around mental health and toxic positivity. So I can start. Uh, I had a few friends last year. They they are great friends, but they can be sometimes toxically positive. So I, I tried to distance myself a bit from them. But whenever I talked about something that I was going through, it would always be, oh, look on the bright side. It's not that bad or you're fine. Um, and that wasn't very helpful to my mental health either. Um, So that's kind of a bit of how toxic positivity and mental health has affected me. So you want to start while you can? So yeah, totally see that. I've never heard this term toxic positivity, but it's totally a thing. (laughs) That is a real thing. And and I would have told it said something more like, you know, people aren't okay with me saying anything negative. I always have to um, to think everything's it's okay. It's not okay to say that I'm not happy. It's not okay that I that I feel vulnerable or that I'm struggling. And and that fear that if I did say that to anybody, I would be ostracized or rejected or um, diminished. Those feelings would be diminished. So um, I definitely have experienced that in my life, and I for sure think it has an impact on mental health and. Um, 
mental health is something that's important to me. I mean, I, across my life, I have definitely, I've, I've seen therapists. I'm seeing one right now. It's saving my life. Um, and I think that if we don't learn at an early age to start caring for our mental health, if we don't start learning some of those lessons when we're really young, um, we're going to struggle longer than we really have to. And it's why I think it's important to talk about it and to name some of these things. Um, so that's some of my experience, but I definitely have been around people that like, oh, it's not so bad or, oh, it's not so terrible. Or I have done that to myself. Sometimes that voice, Mariani, and, and, and girls listening, maybe even boys listening, sometimes the voice saying that with the toxic positivity is in your own head. It never mm -hmm. actually mm -hmm. leaves your own head. Yeah. Um, and it tells you that you have to be um, a certain way in order to be okay. Yeah. So if you want to go next season, you may. So I think the earliest time I can remember experiencing toxic positivity and, you know, just confessionally, I've struggled with mental health, with depression and anxiety my whole life, even though I didn't know that I was struggling with anxiety, but um, I went through a pretty a pretty big bout of depression in seminary um, when I had moved to New York City, and I don't really know what caused it, or but it was there, and I, you know, I was living in New York City, I was in seminary, it was supposed to be this really exciting, wonderful time, and I just was not, I was not in a space of, it was just not exciting, it was not fun, it was not, I was not happy, I was not, there was... It just was what it was. And I remember um, hearing from friends, from family, um, you know, to just kind of, um, you know, just find something, something positive um, about life or, you know, count your blessings or, um, you know, make that list of three things that you're thankful for. And I just wasn't in the mood to even go there. I just, I was, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't in that space. Um, and I didn't need anybody to help me. I just needed people to let me be in that space for a little while um, and, and just kind of walk next to me with it. Yeah. And something real quick that I heard somebody say about that, for people that are struggling with mental health, it's not your job to stand far away from them and say, this is where you need to be. It's your job to go to them and walk with them, um, which I think is something that a lot of people need to hear today. Yeah. Yeah. It has me think, I don't know if we're supposed to talk about Jesus or not, but um, so, but that's my job. So, um, but one of my, one of my, this, when I think about like spaces when I'm in a really, in, and I'm just in a low point is when I think about Jesus was in this, was in this really bad place and it's right before he's going to die and it's awful and it's yucky and there's nothing that is going to make it look good. And he's in the garden and he's praying and his prayer is from the gut. It's just, it's not, it's not a happy, like, Oh, everything's going to be great tomorrow, God. Um, and all Jesus wants his friends to do is to stay awake with him. Like not, he's not asking his friends to change him. He's not asking his friends to make the situation better. He's just like, just stay awake with me and be with me while I'm in this painful place. Yeah. So Carrie, if you want to go. Sure. I think we struggle. Um, and I would guess it's, it's similar for all of us in the profession that we're in. We struggle to be happy when we're not, because that's the expectation on us that we, as the leaders of the church, should should portray a joy you know, joy in the in the lord well sometimes we don't are not always feeling that or even if we are happy in the in the joyfulness of the lord we're not happy in the circumstances that surround us and we have um we we feel and maybe we put that a lot on ourselves but also i suspect that it's just an expectation that that churches put there for all of us for me personally probably the the biggest um place in my life is when um, Clay and I were struggling with infertility and we were young and we were watching all the people around us getting pregnant and having babies and um, we, we lost a lot of pregnancies and every time we would open up to somebody they would say oh well God didn't intend for you to have that one so you know just just wait for the next time or or you can just adopt, you know, they're just sort of brush it off. And like you're saying, we just wanted somebody to sit there with us, just, just to be in the moment with us. What about you, Sarah? I agree. The church is a hard place to be when you feel like crap. Um, 
I mean, working at it and people expect that one hour that you come to church, you're supposed to be perfect. And I'm sorry, the Crowder song, Come As You Are, just really pulled me out of a lot of crap of my own self. Um, I dealt with some serious postpartum depression after Harrison was born and I didn't know that's what it was. You know, I was supposed to be happy. I was supposed to be excited. I was exhausted. I hurt. I was tired. I didn't sleep for 18 months. It, it just really wore on me. And um, my job was doing some transitioning, like the church was in some strife and I wasn't finding a place to be supported there. I had to do all the supporting. Um, and it was, as I've transitioned through jobs, this group of women have been the only people who know me as I truly am, um, besides the people in my household. And because when you're at church, you have to put on a smile. Um, I've had people say, you're so pretty when you smile. I'm like, well, I don't feel like smiling. <laughs> There's not a lot to smile about right now. And I think it's important that churches and pastors claim from the pulpit that it's okay to be in these dark places. Um, you know, Psalm 23 is I go through the valley of darkness. You go through it. You're not stuck there. Um, and so that really brought a lot of, um, you know, we always say it at a funeral. We don't say it much other times, <laughs> um, but it, it really is. We go through this and God is with us. Um, and I'm grateful for my friends and my family that have been with me through it and brought me to another side. Um, where it's no longer I have to put on a, a happy face. I have a happy face, and I want to have that. Um, and it's that joy. Susan taught me about joy is something that you have no matter your situation. Um, and so I think that's important that it doesn't have to be smiley all the time, but you can still have that passion and joy for what you have in life. Yeah. And one thing that I wanted to touch on that I noticed is um, – a lot of you said people were saying that I was supposed to feel this way. Um, I feel like that's part of toxic positivity and it relates to mental health. Like people saying you're not supposed to be this way. You're not supposed to feel this way. Um, so I think that that's a really, that plays a really big part in toxic positivity and mental health. For sure. Like who are they? I always ask myself, who are they that say I'm supposed to not? They say you shouldn't be sad. They say you're not supposed Who? Said who? That's <laughs> what we gotta ask, so. So um, I am gonna, I researched a little bit about mental health and I got some, um, I came up with some facts about <laughs> mental health. So the first one is around one in five of the world's children and adolescents have a mental disorder. That one's insane to me because thinking about my classmates in my and my friends one in five of them struggle with a mental disorder and a mm. lot of people don't see it they don't show it a lot of people in my school kind of put on a happy face and they act just like they're okay and one in five of them are battling a mental disorder um so this next one about <laughs> that's pretty that's small half Around half of mental disorders begin before the age of 14. I'm 14. So that means mm. people younger than me are developing mental disorders. Um, yeah. And then the last one is more than 43 million Americans struggle with mental disorder. Yeah. That's insane. Those statistics to me, especially the first two, like so many children now, are battling mental, mental disorders and not a lot of it is being shown or brought to light which is just crazy to me mm -hmm. yeah I think back like when I think back at myself at at 14 in, in my teenagers in general so my father died when I was five and you know I don't I don't know any five-year-old that kind of processes that so for me I felt like I began processing that when I became a teenager and it was the worst time in the world to be trying to process it because mm -hmm. I was sad. And and there was nowhere to say, I'm just sad. It was always, oh, you know, it's just hormones. It's just teenager stuff. It's just, you know, no one could acknowledge that what was happening there had 
so much to do for me about my mental health and and getting through grief and struggling with for what it turns out you know some anxiety related to um, childhood trauma and so so many people have experienced childhood trauma of any kind of ill and you and I talk about this all the time and when we don't have places where we can talk about it and there's not somebody that can sort of normalize that for us we hold that in and it really um I can look back and see how it deeply was impacting my yeah. relationships with other people and the way I viewed myself. Yeah. Um, and so like, I'll, I'll look back and I, I can see the roots of anxiety now in those years. And I wish that I had had places that I could talk about yeah. it. And I think that's one of the worst things about toxic positivity too, is the idea that you have to, you have to bottle everything up. Nothing can like be exter- externalized. Nothing can be, brought out because we're afraid of a moment where something's negative or something is sad um so yeah and i think 14 year olds aren't able to deal with that themselves and so you find them they're just mean to each other because they don't know how i mean i remember my 14 year old self could not support my friends and whatever they were going through because i was going through my own crap um, that's my word of the day. You know, this is just some, <laughs> sorry. Um, but you know, it, it is when you go through your own stuff, you cannot support someone else. Yeah. So I think that was where my mom um, is a mental health nurse, um, retired. And she, when I was about 13, 14 years old, she would allow us one mental health day a semester. Mm-hmm. It could not be a day that we had a test or anything like that. But if we just needed, we're like, mom, raise the white flag. Mom, I got to stay home today. I'm just done. And she could kind of feel when that was and would give us a pass of like, fine, you don't have to go to school today. Um, And so that was so helpful to be able to, at that age, to be able to find where I need a pause, where I need to step back and where I just need to not be involved in everything else in the world. I just need to focus on myself for a little bit. Um, and I'm still not good at doing that for myself, but I know that's a skill that I need to impart for my kids, um, is being able to allow them a space that they can just say, I'm done. I I need a break. I need to get away. I need to cuddle on the sofa. I just need to be a kid today. Right. To say it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, for, for me and, uh, this, this two, twofold, because I think about my, when I was 14 and when I was growing up and I come from a um, couple of parents that are, you know, just work workaholics in a way in, in their own settings and, and kind of you did everything to the highest level and expected that of me. And I am way more even than they are. I am such a perfectionist. I, I understand you did another podcast on that already. So <laughs> they go hand in hand for me. And so when I'm, when I'm looking at my children and I, see them struggling with something or they're upset about something i have to remind myself to step back and say it's okay to just sit in this and to to be it's okay to be sad it's okay to feel all the feelings that you have and for me to not try to fix that for them or to challenge them to just you know suck it up and and get back to it that sometimes we just need to be there and that's okay and so i have to i have to keep checking myself because I personally want to do everything right all the time. And I like what you said about um, fixing. Like, I think it's very important to know and to think about it's not, you don't have to fix yourself or it's not your job to fix other people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I just really liked how you brought that Do you that feel up. like teenagers do that? Like, what's your experience with that? Um, well, I don't know if this is just teenagers it might be my personality but I think that I am a fixer like I feel a need to quote unquote fix people um and I think a lot of people a lot of teenagers just want to they don't have an or especially more like younger kids don't have an understanding of it can't just like it's not just going to go away you can't just fix mental health problems. Um, So I think the problem in teenagers about quote unquote fixing is that they don't understand. 
Um, well, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. when you're, when you're next to somebody that is, and that person is in pain. And I would say that each of us and that are talking, we, we have to step into really yucky, broken spaces and it is not comfortable. It's not. And the, and I think it's just, you just want to make it better. It, it's not comfortable to stand in brokenness and mess and muck. And yet um, we are not called to be fixers. We're, we, we don't have that capability. Like we, we, we ain't, we're not God. So we have to learn. And I, you know, I love Brene Brown who talks so much about shame and vulnerability and, um, and it makes, you know, like that's what we want to do when we feel shame or when we feel vulnerable, we want to cover it up because it feels very exposed. It, it feels very naked and none of us want to be running around naked and we don't want to be next to people who are running around naked. We want to cover it up. Um, and so I think that's just humanity. I don't think, I, I mean, I, I know I felt that when I was a teenager, but I certainly still feel that like it's hard to stand in brokenness and pain. Yeah. Honored to sit in for our, we have a grief share group at church and um, there was, for some reason, the lead, the regular leader could not be there. And it was like five minutes till, and I'm like, I'll just go, I'll just go and sit and help them hold space. It was the most holy of places. I'm sitting in a room full of seven women who have been through some of the most traumatic, they're grieving sons and husbands and daughters. And the way that they hold each other, none of them said those words of, it'll be okay. It'll change one day, yes, but it's, you're fine where you are now, um, was my major phrase that I took away from that time. You are fine where you are now. Um, and so it was just nice to be in that. And I think it was one of probably the most authentic places I've been in the church in a long time where people pour out their pain and their sorrow. And these women just sat there and understand, you know, and they just, they didn't try and fix it. That was not the goal. Um, it was just to accept people and give them an out um, for those places. Yeah. And so it was amazing. That makes me think of, I love that. I love, and I love that you brought up holding space um, because that's the power. Like when we realize we don't have to fix it, but we can just hold space. Like there's such power in holding space, which makes me think about professional mourners, like people who show up to homes where somebody's experienced death. And they're there to like mourn for the family, like to help cry. Like, I love that. Like they're there not to necessarily bring the casserole and bring the flowers, and make it all better. Even though casserole does. <laughs> like they're there to help wail with the people. Like that's, we don't have that anymore. Like where are the professional mourners that show up? The whole space. Sometimes you just want somebody to, to sit with you and either cry with you or just to bear witness to your tears with some compassion. Like yeah. I remember thinking that a lot when I was a teenager. Like that I just wanted somebody to be with me. Yeah. I didn't want to be alone. Well, and it was that's a hard thing to ask another teenager. Hey, I need to cry. Will you come sit with me? Like <laughs> and that's where I appreciate my mom's twenty years later. You know, she was the one that would sit there and not offer judgment or and you know if I could go back to my 14 year old self I would say appreciate this you know this is a gift of sitting with your mom and crying so Mariana when you get finished with this little podcast I just want you and your mom to go sit on the porch and just get a good cry out just <laughs> let it out but me personally I went through I struggled a lot it's great with what I would say was anxiety. Um, and it was really hard. And I don't know what I would have done if my parents and my family and my close, well, I didn't have a lot of really close friends then, but my family hadn't just sat with me and met me where I was. Um, and I already felt so alone. Um, and it made it so much easier to have parents who were just who met me where right. I I've, was. I've got this, I don't know if you know this, I've got in the front of my little prayer book that I take, if I'm going to be with somebody who's dying, and there is a post-it note on the inside of that book with a quote from a guy named Paul Claudel, and this is what he says. He 
says, Jesus did not come to explain away suffering or to remove it. He came to fill it with his presence. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a reminder that, that bad stuff is going to happen yeah. and that, that it, God shows up to fill up that space with his presence. And sometimes, and this is the best part, sometimes God shows up with skin on in the form of a friend or a mom or, or, or a therapist to just sit with you in your stuff. And that's sometimes the best thing that anybody can offer you yeah. um, to fill up that space with presence. Yeah. So, and I'm so glad you have that, Mariana. I um, didn't realize until I was about 44 that I had been living with anxiety my whole life, like paralyzing anxiety, because what I was told my whole life was, oh, that's just your nerves. Like, you you know, as if that was something that I could control or something that I should just yeah. go and like take care of myself. But I mean, it was, it really affected me every day. I, I, I can look back now and tell times when I had some OCD that went with it and some other ticks that went along with it. And I mean, it was, it was meant, I had some mental, I still do have some mental health challenges and it wasn't until much later that I realized like, this is way bigger than just nerves uh an upset tummy like this is this is something bigger than that so um I'm, I'm glad that you have had space to kind of um surround you and wrap you up with that yeah. to be held in that well part of it too was when i was struggling through i don't i'm not gonna go into it but when i was struggling with some anxiety um it always made me feel my parents never did this to me, but I, some other people did like, it's just hormones or yeah, it's just going back to school nerves. It felt so like it was invalidating when I was going through, I was overreacting, which made me feel mm -hmm. even more alone and isolated than I already was feeling. Um, so that yeah. was, that was a struggle. That definitely happens. We definitely do that. Um, but I'm gonna ask you guys some questions. Um, so we told you we could go on forever. Go ahead. Um, so the first question is, um, Sarah, you can answer this if you want to. Uh, what would you tell your 14-year-old self about mental health and toxic positivity? What would I tell myself is that you're not gonna find your answer in your friends at 14 years old. Um, you need to have some mentors that are older than you. Um, I somehow became really good friends with some of the older adults at church. Um, Miss Whitaker sat on the back pew of our church and you would come in through the back pew and she would hug every one of us, teenagers, children. And, you know, we became good friends. Um, and she taught me a lot about how to be real life. Um, watching her grieve her husband and different things like that as I got older. You need to have an outlet beyond school and the friends. Um, you need to be a part of a church, a congregation, a, a, a club that has some realistic things. Um, it may come from soccer teammates. It may come from um, going to counseling when your parents encourage it, but there's got to be some other people in your life besides other 14 year olds. Now, 14 year old friends are great. Don't hear me say that. That's not, that's not what I'm saying, but there's got to be more to that. Um, because 14 year olds can't necessarily care for other 14 year olds. Yep, and We're all going through the same thing. And like, I think it was Susan. I don't really, I don't remember who it was. Sorry. But Somebody said um, that like 14 year olds are going, are already going through their own stuff. And it's hard to add on to that when you're already going through so much. Um, and so the second question uh, is how can you tell and what do you do when you figure out that you're, well, how can you tell, and what do you do when you are not mentally healthy? Like, who are you asking? Uh, 
I, I guess you. Like, what are my warning signs? Yes, and then what do you do once you discover those warning signs? Right, like if I am um, snapping at somebody that didn't do anything, um, to like they didn't do anything, but I'm fussing at you, or and I'll, you'll do that to me. Like sometimes you'll like, out of nowhere be grumpy at me. Well, that's just a sign. Like it's just, you know, for me, that's a warning sign. For me, another one of mine is if I am, um, if I'm making unhealthy eating choices, for me, that's one of my signs. Mm. If I'm like, um, let's, is there enough, there's not enough chocolate in the land for me? Like, <laughs> it's just a warning sign. Um, and another one is if like everything that's being asked of me makes me, like I, I either feel a sense of I don't want to or, or it makes me mad that, that anybody's asking anything of me. And when I start feeling that, um, the, if I can, you know, I'm getting better as I get older, so I don't want you to have this idea that um, that you're going to master this within a day. I mean, I'm almost 44 years, 45 years old. So there's, it just, you're going to, it's going to take time. And some days you're really going to not get it right um, and not catch yourself. But if I can catch myself, the most important thing to do is to just step away and go find some time to be alone. Yeah. To, to, to to pull back and go, okay, now what's happening? I just lashed out at somebody or I just did something I didn't want to do. So what's going on there? What is, what is happening in me that I'm not addressing that I need to address? And then I can figure out how I need to address it. Maybe that is seeing my therapist. Maybe it's just talking mm-hmm. to a friend, but I think until you can recognize that you're not in good headspace and then pull away to sort of do a self-assessment yeah. and say, okay, what is that about? Um, and, and then figure out what the thing you need is. You know, maybe it's, it could be as simple as, I mean, honestly, a good walk can be a great thing to clear your head. Um, mindlessly watching something on TV can sometimes just clear your head so you can focus on something yeah. else. Um, and sometimes you really do need to talk to someone. But yeah. I think that recognizing when you're really, for me, that's what it is. It's when I'm, when if I'm lashing out at somebody, I'm not in good head space. For me, anxiety represents itself very physically so if i have a stomach ache all day or if my head is hurting or i get i actually get this is weird but um i get like anxiety rashes when i feel anxiety i'll get a rash on my wrist um and sometimes i'll just be super tired and that'll go on for like days and then i kind of know like okay something's not right i need to check in with myself or i need to talk to somebody um so those are just some warning signs to look out for if you don't think that you're mentally healthy. And that's not all of them, but that's just some of them. Um, so Carrie, if you want to answer this next one, sure. why do you think that sometimes society shies away from talking about mental health? Oh, I think it's scary. And I think we, um, there's just so much of a, so much of our society that's built on being showing the best to the world look at all the social media whoever posts anything real on social media you post the the good pictures um at christmas time when we send the cards out of our kids it's the ones where they're all standing nice and looking happy at each other not the ones where they slap each other and got in a fight on the ground or you know and all the other stuff that we we post all the good stuff and so we feel like we have to um we have to compete with each other because in our minds, we work each other up to this high pedestal of happiness and joyfulness all the time. And we don't um, acknowledge that that's not true for everybody because we're only seeing the good in those places. And I think it's when we, um, when we do things like this, like we get close to other people. We, we have um, great friends for us, great girlfriends and We've been in those places where things were hard and we realized it didn't all look pretty or, or sound good. And knowing that, you know, I don't need to compete with, with my girlfriends here because we've all been at high places and we've all been at low places. Um, And I think it's, it's the way society is built to project only the good. Yeah. And I also think adding to that, being vulnerable is hard and mental health Mm. is vulnerable. Oh, yeah. And so we we have this fear of being vulnerable and being authentic because we don't want to be judged or we don't we don't want to be seen 
as something that's not perfect, as something that's not happy all the time. Right, but what was it your brother said to me last year, your, uh, your brother when he was in sixth grade? He said, uh, um, nobody really wants to stand out right now. He's talking about sixth graders. And yeah. so I think like that sense of um, uh, everybody else, I think everybody else has it together. So therefore, I can't show that I don't have it together. And what you don't know is what's happening in the other person because yeah. we're all wearing these masks. And, and you know, you know if, if, for example, if Sarah hadn't told us, you know, she told us that she was struggling with the postpartum depression, but that was not something that everybody else knew. Yeah. And, and that you've got to have those vulnerable places where you can say, I'm really struggling. And there's actually something freeing when you can do that is that it frees other people to say where they're struggling too. Yeah. And that's how we can start getting better together, you know? Yeah. So this next question, Susan, if you want to answer. Um, so what do you think is the difference between positivity and toxic positivity? <laughs> God, you saved the hard one for me, huh? <laughs> well, I, I think positivity can be can could be expressed more as like present um without having to say a whole lot without a lot of, of doing involved in it and maybe the toxic comes with with uh, the need to change somebody else so that you feel so that my need to change you so that i feel better mm. um because i don't i don't like the way it feels when i'm next to somebody who's not who's who's in a bad place and so it, it could be it could be warm and loving if I offered my presence, but if I'm feeling uncomfortable and I need to do something to make myself feel better, then that I think is where it becomes toxic because now it's about me and it's not about the person who is hurting. Um, does that make sense at all? Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's take a way to describe it, Susan. Do y'all see that? Like that sense of like. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that some of that toxic positivity is, oh, you just made me uncomfortable yep. because you told me something real. Yeah. And, and that made me very aware of the places that I feel vulnerable to and I'm right. vulnerable about it. So I need, I need to be okay. So I need you to be okay. So I can be okay. And then we'll all. That's right. That's right. So yeah. So you get your stuff together so I can feel better. Right. <laughs> and then I think part of the hard thing about, having people that are toxically positive is it feels like your need, it feels like your need for comfort is more important than that's my right. well-being. That's right. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a really hard feeling. And I feel like it's something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, so for real, like, I will, okay. So here's, here's the other thing I will say too. Like, I think there's a role for positivity. And mm -hmm. what I mean by yeah. that, that, that before it becomes toxic, and I think what I mean by that is like in, in Philippians chapter four, where it says, um, uh, don't be anxious about anything, which I don't think actually means don't ever be anxious. Yeah. It says, but I always translated that for, for my kids as, um, what he says next is tell God what you're thankful for and then tell God what you need. Yeah. So there's something about someone orienting you toward what you do have because sometimes when we're not in good headspace all we're looking at, at is what we don't have the mindset scarcity right so if we can turn our mind to and there's a moment for that the moment is not the first time that someone says i'm having yeah. a bad day you don't need to immediately go there but mm. there is a role down the road of of saying you know what like i'm so thankful that i have you there's something about naming I'm thankful that I'm not alone. I'm thankful I have somebody I can talk to. Yeah. I'm thankful for Miss Whitaker that sat on the back pew. You know, I'm mm -hmm. thankful for my friends um, mm -hmm. that can help start turning some of the tide for us. But the moment for that is not the first moment. Like, yeah. like that's like step 10 in the process, right. not step one. I also think that there's a need for balance. So it's not healthy to be always negative and it's not healthy to be always positive. There needs to be a bit of a balance of both. Um, that's true. So that's kind of how I think of posit toxic positivity, too, is a constant need to be positive. Um, because there needs to be room for both negative and positive. 
Yep. Right. And there's a difference between holding that space for someone to be in their waller. Um, I had a camp director said the only thing that will probably get you fired this summer is if a kid tells you how crappy their life is and you say sucks to be you. Oh, wow. <laughs> Apparently that had happened. And so there's, there's got to be, you know, you got to have that compassion without the toxic positivity. And I think those things are extremely different. Um, but to be able to hold that space of, I hear you, you're having a bad day. What, what do you need? Yeah. Um, you know, not how can I fix it or how can I help? What do you need? And then a, a good response would be, how do you help meet that need? Um, my mom taught me that mental health issues are the same as cancer. You treat them with a casserole and a, a warm, loving card, just like you would a, a, a bereavement or something else in the world. Yeah. yeah. And so the next one is... Um, Sarah, you can answer this one again if you would like to. Um, how can toxic positivity harm you? I really think it, it pushes down those negative emotions in yourself. If you're always supposed to be happy and you're always supposed to be smiley and you're supposed to be seeing the good in everything, but you can't. Um, sometimes it's chemically impossible to see the good. Um, and so to have people say, well, you've got it all. You've got this. You've got that. But. Um, I still don't want to smile. Um, it's bigger than just, you know, smile, you'll feel better. Yeah. Like it can keep you in that headspace longer. Is that what you mean, Sarah? Yeah. Like it, it keeps you pushing down. Like there really is something wrong with me if I can't see the good. Yeah. I'm guessing it, I know that it makes you feel guilty. Right. Like, I feel so bad about myself that I can't see the good. Like, what's wrong? Right. Um, so. I think it keeps you from getting the help you need because yeah. we keep getting told that, like, like Sarah's saying, we just keep being told you just smile and, and move through it and, and make it work. And if we keep telling ourselves that or we're, we're believing what people are telling us, then we we don't go get the real help that we need. We don't go see a mental health professional. We don't. Um, get with friends that can accept us who for who we are and, and talk about it. There's all kinds of things we need to do, but if we're we're held in that bubble, we don't get there. Right. Yeah. That's totally right. Yeah. Um. Hold on, let me pause this for a second. Okay. No. No, no pause. Okay. So, like, do you? She needs to ask me a question, so we're gonna pause it. Yeah. All right, what were you saying? I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> okay, so the next question, um, any of you can answer this. Um, do you think that social media and society encourages toxic positivity and why or why not? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, nobody's posting like exactly what, what Carrie was saying about, you know, your kid's Christmas picture. You remember that Christmas picture a couple years ago? We, uh, we, we always do a family Christmas picture with my sister and... Um, you know, we had done the big photo shoot and um, there was one picture where everybody was smiling. And in every other picture, it was somebody messing with somebody or doing something or they were complaining about doing it. And like, so we had this one picture of all of them with this look on their face, like they just, can we be anywhere but here is what the looks were. And we actually included that in a Christmas card in the interest of honesty. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think, I think that, that, Kids in particular, man, I'm so glad social media went around like we were kids. Can I get an amen, ladies? I mean, yes. holy cow. Like the the pressure to look a certain way and to filter a certain way and to show yourself in a certain way. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's just huge. Nobody is posting, you know, um, you know, all the candy wrappers from the Halloween candy that they ate too much of and they regretted later. Nobody posts that picture. Like well, Susan did when she posted that thing about them riding down the mountain and everybody was crying and what? <laughs> Awful. Awful. Susan changing social media. Awful you vacation. Know what happened when, when you did that? Susan went on this bike ride that was, you know, the bike. It was, it was a memorably miserable vacation. Yeah. It was the bike ride of hell. It's really. <laughs> what that happened is all these people commented about the experience they had had that were like that. And it, all of a sudden you weren't alone anymore. And it's so funny to me that 
the thing what we most want is to not like feel like we're alone. And the thing that will make us feel that way is the, is authenticity, not the fact that not the mask. Yeah. The mask actually ends up isolating us more than an authentic conversation. Would. So I hate to bring, I hate to be um, preachy again or pastoral again. However, <laughs> bring it. So, but there's obviously something like deep in us, the, the story of Adam and Eve that um, I truly believe that what what gets them in trouble with God was not that they disobeyed, but that they covered themselves up, that they they messed up. They had this thing that kind of oops, you know, that was that made them broken. And instead of go like Carrie said, instead of going to get help, instead of going to God and being like, I messed up or this is, you know, this is me right now. We didn't do a great job with this and, and get closer to God for healing and wholeness. Their shame hit and they covered themselves up. They tried to hide and make it look like everything was okay. And um, that's, that's not good. And that, I love Carrie, how you said that keeps us from going and getting help. That, mm-hmm. that covering up because we feel ashamed um, that keeps us from seeking help from others. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, when you, and when, particularly when I was a teenager. And I think there's been a shift in social media because all the people we follow, I mean, where was Brene Brown when we were teenagers? I don't know. She is authentic and real. Jen Hatman, I mean, they're posting on social media. Glennon, um, is it Glennon Doyle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lives falling apart, their lives taking major shifts, and they are honest and authentic with that. Yeah. And, and that would never have been without social media. And so it is allowing some acceptance of those crappy vacations and those times where we just want to lay on the floor. Um, and some of that's still done in private groups, but more and more public figures are putting themselves out there with the reality of what their lives are like not the pretty picture on the back of the book cover or what you see in a TV show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what you said about that, hear me, like social media and society, we still have a lot of work to do becoming more authentic. Um, but, but, um, <laughs> um, but I think some of that is in your control in which you control who you follow. You control the amount of time you're on social media. So if you see it having a negative impact on you, if you are, if you see the people you follow and what they post having a negative impact on you, I think some of that you can control and that you kind of need to be aware of and think, I'm following this person who is posting just all the good pictures of them and talking about like, how perfect their life is. Is this helping me? Is this, or is this harming me? Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's very hard for, I think that's mm-hmm. hard for adults to do. I think yeah. it's very hard for teenagers to do. And I think this is where like something, I think several of you have already said that piece about your <coughs> when you're feeling that way, not going to come and talk to me, meaning mm-hmm. you, Mariana, are not going to talk to me, your mom about that. Like it's important. This is why it's important that you have other adults, yeah. your aunt, your parents' friends, um, your your mom, yeah, your friends of your parents or your friends' parents, you know, yeah. or people yeah. or people in your community that you can go to. Because when I was feeling some of this stuff, I didn't. I was afraid to go talk to my mom. And listen, my mom's super understanding, yeah. but I was scared to talk to her. So it was really important that I had other adults in my life that could help me sort of work through that. Because you're right, but if that's hard for adults to do, mm-hmm. I can't imagine a lot yeah. of this for kids. Mm-hmm. To do. Yeah. Especially, frankly, in the middle of this pandemic, when everybody's so socially isolated, yep. and the only right. way that you can interaction with your friends is Instagram and Twitter and yeah. Snapchat and all these other yeah. social media platforms. Yep, social media is definitely a complicated. Yep, yep. And your value to a fourteen-year-old today, or my fourteen-year-old self, your value is not bound up and how many likes you have or how many comments you have on your post that's all in algorithms that has nothing to do with your self-worth um and i think that's an important message to get across is that 
a click of a button doesn't mean that you're not worth it. Um, your life is valuable and you are valuable to so many people beyond who sees your post on social media. Yeah, yeah. So this next question is probably my favorite question. Um, why do you think we always feel the need to be positive? How do you learn to be authentic to your emotions, even the negative ones? Why are you looking at me? <laughs> I don't know, you're, you're making your face. I'm just, that's a good question. I think that that's, you, you get better without the older you get. Mm. I, I think that that's something you get better at the older you get. I think that's really, really hard. Um, developmentally, when you're 14 years old. Socially, when you're 14, 15, 16. I mean, that's just hard. So I think that um, learning the places that are safe and where you should and where you can and should trust yourself yeah. to be able to be vulnerable. Because sometimes I think we are vulnerable with the wrong people. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, we, we trust those parts of ourselves that are the most tender um, to places that haven't earned the right to hone that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So those, those people in your life that like your parents, like, you know, friends that have stuck with you through the hard stuff, not mm. told you to get over it, but stuck with you through it. So I think that um, learning, I mean, I, I deeply value authenticity, but that's, that is a hard one thing over the course of a lifetime. That's my opinion yeah. on that. Well, I would, I, would, I, would, I would agree with that because my podcast is called Wisdom for the Journey. Mm -hmm. Learning all this stuff and growing is a journey. You're not just going to one day and you're not going to wake up one day and everything be better. That's not mm -hmm. how it works. It's a journey. It's you're. It's you're never gonna be perfect. I don't think you're. It's it's gonna be hard to be authentic to your emotions for the rest of your life. It's a journey, and you grow. Um, so that's what I think about it. What do you guys think? I think you grow in your identity, um, in learning who you are, and um, you, you know some of it is wrapped up in what you do, but just. You're talking about authenticity or, or being authentic to your true self. You learn your true self the older you get. And um, assuming that you're self-aware and, and working on those things. And I think um, you're right in that it's a journey. And so the, the longer you're in it, the more you learn what works and what doesn't and ways to express yourself. And um, as Tony said, people to trust and not trust. Um, it's a process, and sometimes you'll you'll mess it up and and get 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 in a mess somehow, and and then dig back out of it because we go backwards and forwards our whole lives. But we're always learning. We're always always gathering information. And having those people that you can go to and say, "Oh, I messed up." Yeah. You know, like, and and, and sit down and cry and say, "I trusted somebody that betrayed me," and someone that will sit with you in those tears and then say. Okay, so what can we do next time that would be different? How can we learn right. this so that so that we can have more confidence to be in the choices that we make and, and the people that we share with, you know, and being ourselves. Yeah. Well, and we've we've for some reason, you know, we all we've always been like, you know, the the daytime is the best time and the sun is out and that's great. And we've always equated nighttime as kind of this negative space you know we can't see but it's not that growth isn't happening in the darkness it, things are still growing and forming in the darkness and the darkness is where there's some really amazing work that is happening there so even you know yes positive positive spaces are wonderful and growth happens there but there's stuff that happens in those dark places too and that has just as much value and validity as as the light as the day to say again just how important it is to have that group of people to be with and to um if, if this is girls listening to this girlfriends that surround you or or guy friends or or whatever it is the, the place where you can say um here's what's going on can you help me make sense of it and maybe the make sense of it is you need to go farther you need to go see a mental health professional but maybe it's as simple as as some some friends or colleagues pointing out what's What's right. I mean, I did that recently to y'all and sent sent you a message and said, I can't, I can't even figure out what what is my place in this. And um, of course I knew y'all would say, hey, you need to straighten this out. 
or this is not on you. This is this is something else. And so I think we all just need that place to to gather people that are that are going to be honest and true <clears throat> with us. And so I think having grown up in a household of all women, my mom was a single mom, and my sister. I think my understanding of toxic positivity is is changing as I have sons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think girls are great at dealing with emotions and boys show them so differently. Uh, that's a good point. And so I'm having to learn where is it my kids need that support? Um, yeah. You know, and because so many times guys are told just buck up and, you know, that's girly emotions or, you know, something like that. And that's not true. Right. Like, it would be one totally of my deals with a lot of anxiety, whereas at school, his teachers have never seen it, have never seen him struggle. I see it the moment we get home. Um, and this virtual year of um, schooling has shown me some different things um, of how I need to care for him mentally. And yes, as an eight-year-old, he has a counselor that we work through things and she's great at showing him how it's okay to deal with those things as well as let's celebrate the things that are going well. Right, because truly a girl could sit down and cry and nobody would think anything of it, but that's going to be way harder for boys because boys are getting a different message. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not by their parents, but certainly by society. Well, and the message is, it doesn't, like emotions aren't girly. Like emotions don't, have a gender everybody has emotions right. Right. so um I definitely think I love I love that you brought that up I hadn't really thought about it but I definitely think that talk that toxic positivity is very society says that like boys can't cry or boys can't feel mm-hmm. right these emotions right and that starts young because I'm telling you right now all of the all, boys all of us that are raising boys, boys have all those emotions too when they're young. They absolutely have them. They just aren't given the vocabulary in quite the same way right. as they get older. Right. So. Um, and then I think the last question is, what do you think God says about mental health and toxic positivity? Now, yes, maybe scripture, but I think of it more, if God was standing right here with you, what do you mm-hmm. think he would say to you? about mental health and toxic positivity? Well, I think God would probably maybe say, maybe just to me, um, and maybe that's why there's a, like, I'm just thinking of me personally, God would say, you are my beloved. And, And if that means I'm having a great day, then I'm God's beloved. And if it means I'm having a crappy day, I'm, I'm God's beloved. Yeah. And something again, for me personally is, this kind of ties into perfectionism too, but also with mental health. Um, I struggle with the fact that God loves me even when I'm not perfect and even right. when I'm having a bad day. So mm-hmm. I think if God was standing here with me, he would say, I love you unconditionally. I love you regar- regardless if you're in a bad place or if you're in a good place, if you don't, if you're feeling crappy or if you're feeling fine. Um, that's what I personally think he would I think say he'd me. say I love you I want you to be well hmm. and, and I'm willing to love you while you're not yeah. until you are yeah I think he would say I'm you know I could envision Jesus saying I'm gonna stand next to you today even if today's not a good day and I'm, I'm still be standing here tomorrow when you get back up if, if you manage to sleep through the night because the night is dark to us but when you wake up in the morning wherever you wake up and however you wake up, I'll still be standing here. I think he'd be like Jesus's friends in the garden, you know, who stayed awake, mm-hmm. who sat there, you know, now I lay me down to sleep kind of thing. And, you know, God is right there. Um, God sits with you in the ashes. God stands with you on top of the mountains. Um, and we just have to be aware that God is in all of that. Um, still there beside us. You know how uh, have you you've seen Inside Out? Yeah. So, yes. Uh, along with my Jesus stories, I like Disney. So I, I think I think the most theological point, and I don't know why this popped into my head as kind of thinking about God, but you know, at the end, Joy has been trying to 
get back to this girl so so she can just be happy, you know, just be happy, even though this girl has been picked up and moved to San Francisco where the pizza sucks and she doesn't have her friends and life for her sucks and she just wants to run away and the emotion Joy just, just knows that if she gets back to her and just makes her happy, it'll be great. But when Joy realizes that sadness needs to touch the little girl and there's that moment, you know, where Joy steps out of the way and let sadness touch that space. And then this really holy moment happens with the girl and her parents. That to me is God, like where God allows sadness to touch us in a way that brings us healing and brings us wholeness. Yeah. Right. And then I watched that movie again. Oh gosh, I know. Disney. Great, what they realize is that becomes this core memory that has, because at the end they're holding, she's, it's when she's vulnerable and her parents hug her, right? Right. This smile comes on her face and this this memory is not all before that all her memories are either blue or yellow or red or green or purple right and she realizes that 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 joy and sadness can coexist yeah. that, right that, that in that moment there is so so much sadness but there's so much joy too mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and I think about um, I think about some of the things that I've walked with my with these friends through yeah. right and that that they've been with me in some of my sadder moments, but they've been able to bring some, like I can look back with some sweetness on some of those memories because their presence brought some joy into the, the, into the sadness. And kind of related, but I don't know why this keeps coming into my head, but I keep thinking about the verse that is Jesus wept. So Mm -hmm. kind of like Jesus showing emotions is not a bad thing. Jesus, Showed them. Showed them. Yeah. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Even now. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. So. I mean, Job's a really long book in the Bible. And, you know, he sat there in those ashes and God was right there. That's right. Mm -hmm. Told him to get better and God was right there. (laughs) The friends were not helpful. No. Um, so this is the point where we um, go over th- anything that you think we might have missed. Um, we can give kind of closing words or some any other advice that you want to give. Um, so, Mom, if you would like to start. Uh, closing word. Let's see. Be a good friend and have good friends. And I think the best kind of friends are the ones that will come and sit with you no matter what. The no matter what kind of friends. It isn't going to tell you you got to be happy. It isn't going to tell you that everything's mm-hmm. perfect. It isn't going to tell you it's all sunshine and roses, but it's willing to sit down and say, boy, does this stink. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to maybe give you something to laugh about that can bring it. Um, there's just some laughter in there when you're sharing the sadness with somebody else that is very healing. Um, so be a good friend and make some good ones that are willing to do that kind of stuff with you. And you're going to be okay. And I just wanted to say one more thing. Um, when you said that about willing to, I don't know why I hadn't thought about that, but um, if the people listening don't know, I've had two open heart surgeries. Um, I had one when I, when I was 11, and it was a few days before my heart surgery, and it was the last day that I was seeing my best friend at the time. Um, and I remember I sat on the bleachers with her, and I, it was just us, and I turned around and I was like, I'm scared. And we both, sat there and we cried two fifth graders just sitting on bleachers just crying and i think that that was the most formational moment in our friendship and what i would say about that is that particular friend has a sibling that has been through something and so she knew some of that experience so chase the people that understand yeah right that that, that do understand and can be willing to just do that with you. Like that's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. So um, back to closing words. Uh, Sarah, do you have any closing words or things that you would like to say? Just remember that your feelings are authentic and they are real and they are valid. And that's okay. Um, God loves you however you are. And it's important that you find humans that love you that way, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, Carrie, do you have anything? 
I just want to thank you for doing this and for um, challenging us to talk about it and to, to um, think about mental health in all the places of our lives and, and what it means to express ourselves. So thank you for challenging us, but also for those who will listen to it. And I can't wait for you to put it out because I've got a 13-year-old that will love listening to it. Thank you. Um, Susan, do you have anything to close? Just go out there and have a great day. No. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't have anything else to add, except I'm so thankful for your wisdom, Mariana, and for your saying yes to this, that this, this thing in you that was like, you know, I have, I, I think there needs to be a space to have this conversation. So I'm glad that you, that you honored that and that you pulled this together. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wisdom for the Journey. I've loved having conversations with all of these women, and I hope you have loved listening to them. Make sure to look out for more episodes soon. You can find all episodes of Wisdom for the Journey on Spotify and YouTube. And make sure to follow us on Instagram, at Wisdom for the Journey.